Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best mysteries, thrillers, and suspense novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and we're going cozy again today. Today's guest is Edith Maxwell, the author of the Local Foods Mystery Series, the third of which, Farmed and Dangerous, is being released this week. Edith, welcome. Thank you very much, Stephen. Nice to talk to you. It's a pleasure. The pleasure is mine. I am in Southwest Florida where it's very warm, and I loved reading your book because it takes place somewhere where it's cold right now. And I loved reading the book for any number of reasons, but it was nice to get a sense of a chill. This is a story that takes place in the winter, and it involves uh, an organic farm and some great characters. Um, let's talk first about Cam, your, your heroine, and the series, and then we'll get into uh, Formed and Dangerous. Okay. So tell us about Cam. Well, Cam Flaherty is a um, a tall, sort of geeky, former software engineer. She used to write uh, computer programs until she was laid off her job. And her great-uncle Albert had to stop farming, and he offered her his farm. Um, she had spent summers with great-uncle Albert and great-aunt Marie when she was young. And she thought, well, I'm time for a change. So she moved up to the country. <clears throat> took over his traditional farm and made it an organic farm. And um, she thought she was just going to grow grow vegetables and sell them. Um, what she didn't realize is that there's a whole group of local foods enthusiasts called locavores, and they joined her farm share program, and she has to schmooze a lot, and she has to talk with them on Volunteer Wednesday. <laughs> so she's over the course of the series, she has to come out of her shell a little bit and is kind of learning how to do that. Um, unfortunately, there's also locally sourced murder. <laughs> or, for, or fortunately for the author. Well, for me, yeah. <laughs> it complicates Cam's life. <laughs> it does. Now, you were an organic farmer, right? I was. I was. About 20 years ago, I had a small certified organic farm um, when I was home when my sons were little, and they're in their 20s now. And um, so I, yeah, I grew and sold organic vegetables for five or six years. Now, for people who don't know, and it, I only barely understand this stuff, but uh, the idea of farm shares and things like that, can you go into a little detail of, of, about what all that means? Sure, sure. There's something that I discovered um, that was newer in this country uh, 20 years ago called Community Supported Agriculture. And so a farm that 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 promotes that um, sets up a program called a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. And basically, the customers come and you pay up front for a half a season or a full season, which in New England is half a year, um, worth of food. So you pay the farmer up front in the spring or the winter when the farmer needs the money for maybe to put up a new greenhouse or to buy the seeds and buy soil amendments. And then you come and pick up a bag of, of produce every week, you know, from May to October, depending on the farm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's some pick your own. So you might pick your own herbs and pick your own cherry tomatoes and cut your own flowers, depending on the farm, pick your own blueberries. And um, so it, it makes customers really feel invested in their farm. Oh, it's my farm day. You know, you put on your your sturdy shoes and get, grab your basket and your scissors and drive over to your farm and pick up your food for the week. And it's a guaranteed market for the farmer. I mean, some farms still go to a farmer's market, but I had the experience. I'd go to the farmer's market. 
I'd have these beautiful heads of lettuce, but they might not all sell. And then the sun would come on my table and wilt them. And I'd have to, you know, it was like wasted food. Um, or it'd be a slow day at the market and I wouldn't sell out. So it's a really great reciprocal system for customers and farmers. So Cam has set up a, a CSA and has a, a number of very enthusiastic customers. And af- after a couple of years of seeing something like that down here in southwest Florida, where there's an organic farm about 20 miles east of me, and never really understanding what it was, now I sort of understand it. So thank yeah. you for that. And uh, I understood it better by reading the book and going, oh, now I get this whole shares yeah. thing. And now they're they're very popular now. I mean, there are a number of them up in this area. Of course, there's mm-hmm. lots of farms still, you know, in the country outside of Boston. Um, but they've got they've really grown in popularity since when I had mine. One of the things that we as readers love to do is to live vicariously and to learn how other people live um, through books. And Cam, running a small farm, it was so illuminating to me because I'd never read anything like this before. And, And the story, essentially the story of her work life, I found fascinating. Thank you. A number of people have said that, you know, that they didn't really know what farming is like or they didn't know what gardening was like. And, um, you know, the books march through the seasons. The first book starts in June. The second book is set in October. This book is set in January. So you see different seasons of a farmer's life and what she's confronted with. Like she has a plastic covered hoop house, but then there's a blizzard. And is the <laughs> snow going to collapse a hoop house? And in one of our local farms, um, here that a friend of mine runs, it did collapse. Like we had a really high wind and a lot of snow and it collapsed the plastic. It collapsed the, the metal hoops and it froze the crops. And, um, you know, it's a, it can be a real disaster. So she worries about that. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about Farmed and Dangerous. Give us, give us an overview. We know it's in the winter. We know she has a hoop house. And I had never heard that term before I read the book. <laughs> It's in January, and Cam is bringing um, a load of produce over to the assisted living residence where her great-uncle Albert lives. Um, And she's hoping to sort of try it out so maybe she can get a contract for the summer when there's a lot more produce. So she's bringing um, things like potatoes and squash and carrots, stored crops, and some apples and different things for the chef at the assisted living to make a dinner. Well, unfortunately... The night after that dinner, one of the residents, who's kind of a cranky woman who has been in the previous two books and who had arguments with Cam even that day, um, she's found dead. And it's not accidental. Uh, So Cam actually becomes one of the suspects in the murder at the beginning because she'd had this argument and she provided the, the, the food one of one of the the victim's daughters the victim's daughter is mm-hmm. a kind of unscrupulous real estate developer as it turns out but she also goes and plays her guitar for the residents um there's a a flashy opera singer apple grower who wants to buy the dead woman's farm and expand his own farm so there's several people that are entering into this um story we'll see who's the killer and unfortunately for cam her love interest is investigating the crime. So they have to put the a little bit of a halt on things early on in the book. That's right. She's become involved with Pete Pappas, the state police detective. Um, and in Massachusetts, in small towns, the state police investigates murder. Um, and because she's nominally a suspect, he says, well, we can't, I can't see you till this is over, which is a 
kind of a shock and a surprise to her and not a very nice one. So <laughs> that complicates the, the uh, romantic life of the book for a while. Now, you have, early on, uh, there's a setting in the assisted living facility. My mother is in an assisted living facility now. I'm going there to visit her after we finish this interview. And uh, I felt like I was there. It was, uh, it was so well done. I, I could just see everything there. Where mom's at is uh, a little smaller, but otherwise it was just absolutely spot on. Do you have some experience with, with these facilities? Yes. My mother lived in one for the last, um, oh, eight or 10 years of her life in California, where mm-hmm. I'm from. And so I would go visit her a lot. And um, her husband had Alzheimer's and was in the Alzheimer's wing of it which was convenient for her because she could just walk down the stairs and go see him every day. Yes. When, when, you know, once she stopped driving. Um, and in fact, there's a character in that book, Marilyn Muller, who's Uncle Albert's new girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And that's my mom. <laughs> and like, there's a rule. You don't put real people into books. But mommy died three years ago and she never got a chance. That was my three years ago in the fall was when my first book came out. So she never got a chance to read any of my books. So I thought... Well, I'm just going to put her in one. <laughs> and it's exactly my mom, like the embroidered sweatshirts and the Velcro tennis shoes, you know, and um, beating everyone at Scrabble and, <laughs> cross- and crosswords. Although even throughout the book, Marilyn Muller has changed. She has an iPhone and my mother never had anything digital, you know, and um, she drinks a little wine and my mother never, never, never tasted a drop of wine. So so even the character has gone on evolving as characters in fiction should but I, it's just a real sweet thing for me to be able to put her in there. And yeah, a lot of those scenery, the way the place is set up, the music room, all of that is is totally ripped off from where she lived in California. You you said your mom never had the opportunity to read any of your books. Is that this particular series or any of the books? Because you've written a lot of books under a few different names. Well, my first book came out in the fall of 2012, and it's called Speaking of Murder, and that's from a small press. It came out under the pen name Tace Baker. You've written all these books since 2012? Oh, I've written a lot more than that. I'm working on my 10th book right now. Oh, my gosh. So I have five, five books out, two in production, another one getting ready to be turned in, and another one started. (laughs) <laughs> so this is my full-time job now. I quit my day job two years ago. I was working as a technical writer in the software industry for 20 years. And um, I had these contracts, and I just decided to throw in the towel and just write fiction full-time. So I can write three books a year now. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us again. I interrupted you. You're, you're writing under different names, so go slowly. I'd like to link up to them in the show sure. notes. So the first book is called Speaking of Murder by Tace Baker, T-A-C-E. And um, and my protagonist, Lauren Rousseau, is a Quaker linguistics professor in a small town on the coast of Massachusetts. And not surprisingly, you have a Ph.D. in linguistics. I do. And I'm also a 25-year Quaker. Okay. So I put I put a little bit of that write-what-you-know stuff uh-huh. in there, even though I haven't used my Ph.D. in linguistics in many years. Um, so Lauren Rousseau finds her star student dead on campus and gets involved in solving that murder. Uh, the second book, Bluffing is Murder, came out last fall, and it takes place in the summer, um, while she's on break from teaching. And that was nominated for something, wasn't it? That's right. Bluffing and Murder is Murder has been nominated for a Silver Falcione Award 
for best romantic suspense novel, and it's in a group of only 13, which includes Hank Philippi Ryan and Janet Ivanovich. So uh, they, they will select a pool of finalists, um, the judges will, sometime this summer. But even to be included in that group is such a huge honor. Um, so then I have another contract. Um, I was very grateful that Kensington renewed my a local foods contract for two more books. So I have finished and turned in um, the fourth book, Murder Most Foul, with a W, F-O-W-L. <laughs> and that'll be out a year from now. And then, um, and I have one more book after that on the contract. And then I also have a contract for a country store mystery series set in the hilly, beautiful part of southern Indiana with a little um, country store breakfast and lunch place in a fictional town called South Lick. Um with a, my protagonist is a carpenter from California who opened up this bread and breakfast and lunch place, and um, and murder, of course. Now I sp- and that I spent a number of years in the technology business, and I know a lot of uh, software technology writers, and they don't turn yeah. into mystery writers. How do, how do you go from writing technical manuals for twenty years to writing ten books, ten mystery books in such a short period of time? Well, writing fiction is really my love. I mean, I've been writing my whole life, various kinds of writing, but I really love writing fiction. And actually, the the fall before my next, before my last year in farming, I did write about two thirds of of a murder mystery set on an organic farm. Um, but I didn't finish it, and then I left farming and I got into the high tech world. And I, re- and I was raising two sons, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't figure out how to keep a whole plot and all those characters in my head for the half-hour Saturday morning I had to write. You know? <laughs> um, so I started writing short stories, short crime fiction, and I had several of those published. And then I was laid off that job after 14 years in 2008, in the fall, and that's when I started writing novel-length fiction again. Um, so... You know, technical writing is technical. It's not that creative. You need to be very clear. Mm -hmm. That helps. That's a skill. And it's working with words. So I kept my hand in on writing all kinds of things and meeting deadlines, you know, Mm -hmm. and doing research. Um, So it's there's a little bit that relates. One of the things I noticed that sort of caught me right away was was how well plotted the book was. So is is that something that was is natural to you plotting mystery books since that's all you write are mysteries or is that something that that you learn? You're making me laugh. You're making me <laughs> laugh. Really, plotting I feel is my most difficult part. Uh-huh. Like I can write a character, I can write a really descriptive scene, but I don't plot ahead by by nature. Okay. By path of least resistance, I write into the headlights. You know, I just mm-hmm. write this scene and then I write the next scene and then I write the next scene and. So sometimes I'm surprised. I can be two-thirds in the book, and I've set up four suspects, but I don't know which one is the killer. And by two-thirds into the book, I start saying, okay, i got to pick one. <laughs> um, so I'm glad that the plot works. I mean, I do, you know, I do get to the end on the first draft, and then I have to do a lot of work right. to make it work, and I have to backfill clues and drop in red herrings. But, I, you know, of course I try my best to make the plot work, but I feel that's always my biggest challenge, frankly. All right, now let me ask you a question. I like I like this book. I like these series. Would I then be predisposed to like the other series that you write? And I'm, I'm it's a hypothetical question. Obviously, the answer is going to be yes. Um, but why would I? Why would I like them? All my series take place 
in a kind of village setting mm-hmm. with characters that are trying to figure out why people do bad things and how to fix it. And they all come out good in the end. I mean, except for the villain and the victim. Mm-hmm. They come out, but they're resolved. And they're not too dark. The Lauren Russo mysteries are a little darker, but the rest of them are cozies. And they're not as light and funny as some cozies, but they're um, they're not offensive. They're I like to say they're books my mother would have been willing to read because she wouldn't read anything with offensive language mm-hmm. or or um, gratuitous violence or sex. You know, my books have romance, but they close the bedroom door mm-hmm. before it gets too too explicit. Um, and then I, I'm also writing this historic um, Quaker Midwife Mysteries. The first book will be out under Edith Maxwell, thank goodness. Uh, the first book will be out next April. But even though it's a historic mystery with a Quaker midwife solving crimes in 1888, it's still sort of a cozy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the same kind of things apply about the not offensive language, not offensive scenes, um, and, a, and an amateur person saying what would drive someone to kill someone and so <laughs> did this per- could this person have done that looking around and trying to figure out people's motivations and then and trying to help the victims and the people wrongly accused so i think they all have that in common so yes you would love the all right good good answer now edith anyone listening to this is going to be predisposed to like you and want to read your books because you're just such an engaging person what's the best way for people to keep up with you and all of these books you're producing one way is to go to edithmaxwell.com, and there's a tab for each series. And I wanted to say that my country store mysteries are going to come out under the pen name Maddie Day, M-A-D-D-I-E, Day. Um, um, but you can find, and and you can also sign up for my newsletter. I send out a newsletter about four or five times a year. Mm-hmm. I never I never give away loan or sell names. And so that's an easy way to keep up. I also blog every weekday with the Wicked Cozy Authors at wickedcozyauthors.com. And we're a group of six New England cozy mystery authors. Um, Barb Ross, Liz Mugavaro, um, Sherry Harris. They're all fabulous. Jesse Crockett, Julianne Holmes. And I will have had, I think you're the, I haven't interviewed Sherry yet, but she's on the schedule. So that will be four of the six that we'll have had on this show. And uh, all of them just fabulous books. And uh, you all have a lot in common, and it's a great website that you have going going there, and you all really support one another well. We do. We, we're going on retreat in a couple of weeks up in Maine for the weekend. We really get along, and we have long email conversations <laughs> with each other, like stuff you wouldn't want to put in public on Facebook, but that, you know, we want to work out a little issue with each, you know, that someone one of us has had with a publisher or mm-hmm. something. Um, really wonderful. It's our, we call it our lifeboat. This is our lifeboat gang. All right. Um, I'm also on, I have a Facebook author page at Edith M. Maxwell, and I'm on Twitter and Pinterest and Instagram, although I'm still trying to figure out Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) That's a new one. All right. So primarily it's edithmaxwell.com. You can probably find links to the other things there. You blog at least once a week at wickedcozyauthors.com. And uh, you're basically on every social media platform known to man, it sounds like. I I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Edith, thanks so much. This has been fun. Thank you so much for interviewing me. I'm really happy to be here, and it's great to talk talk with you, Stephen. I'm glad you like the book, too. Thank you. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you are an iTunes listener, please subscribe and give us a rating or a review. 
Those help other crime fiction readers find great new books like Farmed and Dangerous from Edith Maxwell. Thanks for listening.